So if you were immortal, living forever until the final gathering, what would your cover job be? Okay, well, he already picked probably the best one for someone who's immortal, which is antiques dealer. So I'm going to have to go with some kind of, uh, probably go with sword making. So you travel around with the Renaissance fairs? No, like go to Japan and like like learn how to do the crazy swords that take forever to make and like they only make like 12 a year. Oh, okay. I would do nothing because if I had to work for hundreds of years, I would kill myself right now. All right. From another time comes a man of great power. Talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. A warrior of incredible strength. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. Highlander, there can be only one. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More is More, the bad movie podcast. And today we have Highlander. Accents optional. Oh, they're not optional. (laughs) Just the correct accent is unavailable. (laughs) This movie, the thing that you remember about it the most is nobody has the accent they're supposed to have. Yes. Um, This feels like it was detrimental in the casting. I don't know who thought this casting would be good. Russell Mulcahy, the director, did. Okay. Um, Who seems insufferable. (laughs) But this was also scored by Queen. Yes. I couldn't believe it. Okay. I haven't seen this movie in a really long time because I remember I watched it a long time ago and then I was like, man, I hate this movie. And I never (laughs) watched it again and I forgot almost everything about it. Yeah. And so... (laughs) Master was it Masters of the Universe? Princes of Princes the Universe. of the Universe. When Princess of the Universe starts up for the credit song, I was like, Oh dear God, like this is gonna be awful. I don't like Queen. I'm not a big Queen fan. I, I honestly don't care for them that much either. And this was like such a Queen sounding song. Oh yeah. It starts out with Sean Connery's very echoey voice. Turns out that's because he recorded it in the bathroom. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. From the dawn of time we came, moving silently down through the centuries, not true, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you until now. I'd like to point out that this is both written on a card and read to us in narration. It's one or the other, guys. Right. Either I'm forced to read it on my own, or I get to watch cool images of people riding horses while I listen to Sean Connery say these things. That would have been so much better. Okay, so after this, pro wrestling. They shot this with a computerized system with, like, wires on a camera. Okay. And it was... That system was invented by the same guy who invented Steadicam. That sounds right. That was impressive for 1986. And in the crowd, they show Christopher Lambert. He's got some Captain Kirk lighting on his face. Did you see that? Like, where, like, just the top half of his face is illuminated. It's the eyelight thing. Yeah, the eyelight. Oh, yeah, it was bad. That's so funny. This is also where we get the first glimpse of his impressive caveman brow. Oh, my goodness. It's so bad. So here's the thing. 
Throughout the whole movie, I could not stop saying out loud how stupid he looks. Now, stupid can mean several things. Sometimes it means you look foolish. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, he, he literally looked dumb. Like, he, yeah, he did. He looked like he was a stupid man. I thought in the flashbacks he looked like a stupid, a very stupid man in everything he did. And then in the, the current day stuff... He looked like a serial killer. Like, he looked so creepy to me. Like, it's because he never not... made facial expressions in the, the current day scenes. Yeah. In the, in the past, he was smiling and... Which make, made him look know, dumb. Yeah, that exactly. But then he was just, like, glowering in the present day Non-stop. stuff. Non-stop. And he looked like... I would not want to have seen him in a dark alley. He looked like he was a straight-up killer. Yeah. Well, there's a scene later where he, like, he straight-up looks like he's about to, like... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So where is Christopher Lambert from? Well, he was born in America. And when he was two, his family moved to Switzerland. After Geneva, he went to school in Paris. So, yeah, he doesn't, like, allegedly, he did not speak English when he got this part. That's hard to believe. You know, I I think that, like, his accent was super messed up and he didn't have an American accent. And I think, you know, you look at someone who's been raised in Switzerland and France and say, this is the natural casting choice for a Scottish Highlander. Of course. What's easier to just jump on into? Yeah. Scottish and Irish stuff. Oh, actors nail it every time. Yep. P.S. This is after they got a Scottish guy... To play a Spanish guy who was secretly an Egyptian guy. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, in the middle of this crowd, Mm -hmm. where he's being screamed at very personally by an old man (laughs) who's behind him, who's like, this old man is way too invested in Christopher Lambert's enjoyment of this. He's like, you gotta love this. Oh, it's amazing. And his head is like right behind his head and he's like screaming at him. And I'm like, I don't think this is, you don't even have front row seats. Like you're way in the back. <laughs> yeah. So he's having a flashback to yeah. the, the Highlands. Yeah. Scottish Highlands. Beginning well, the battle. Of a- battles in the Scottish Highlands. Clearly, yeah. clearly thinking how much better it was back in the day when people were actually being killed. Oh, yeah. No, it looked amazing. Then they cut to... There's a lot of cutting to different scenes in this movie, and it usually just comes off as choppy. Yeah. Cut to a parking lot, modern day, and a guy in a suit... Okay, I, I have a huge problem with this whole scene. You aside should. from the fact that it takes forever. For one thing, we see Christopher Lambert walking through this parking lot. Mm hmm. With his 80s sneaks and his jeans and his trench coat. Can I just Hold say on. how tragic the whole jeans with white sneakers thing was? It was pretty bad. You know what else isn't great? He's wearing a trench coat over a leather coat. Oh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, so we see him walking through the parking lot, and this is the parking lot attached to Madison Square Garden. And the guy in the suit who looks, he's wearing a suit, he's blonde, got kind of longish blonde hair, middle-aged, wearing a suit with sunglasses underground in this parking lot at night. <laughs> like, are you Blade? Come on. Well, for one thing, being an immortal doesn't give you supervision. So I don't know how he's capable of seeing this. Also, it's not making him look any cooler with his suit. And he looks like middle management for the Nazis. Like, he doesn't look cool or tough or anything. I don't know why they chose him to be this villain. But the more egregious thing is, Christopher Lambert is walking through this parking lot, and 
apparently has no peripheral vision because he seems a little surprised when this guy pops out from the side. This guy is not coming from anything hidden. He's just moving into frame. That actually happens a lot in this movie where you're like, wait, where was that guy hiding that you didn't see him? Yeah, just outside of frame. We're not capable of seeing that. No. I can tell you why that guy was in this movie. Why? He was the stunt director. Oh my gosh, that explains why this scene went on for so long, too. It also explains why he did approximately 82 flips. (laughs) Do you remember in part of the fight... He's just flip like instead. He was, of, it's yeah. like a substitute for running at this point. He mm-hmm. does like ten in a row, and I'm like, at this point, like you're not getting away from anyone. It's not strategical because he doesn't hide afterwards. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to do it. Yeah. To be and fair, if I looked like that and I could do that, I would probably like to shock people with it. Well, but. in any of the close-ups where it's clearly Christopher Lambert doing it, it did not look like realistic sword fighting. No. Also, how dare you? He trained extensively with some guy. <laughs> so they start cutting like every line and this is a theme too with their swords they start cutting like every line that they can see is it power is it water we don't even know there's steam everywhere now for some reason well and the the sprinklers are raining i feel like they just wanted the drama of being of sword fighting in the rain but they didn't shoot it outside and in flashing lights so here's the thing the lights flash they never go out and I'm like, what kind of wire can you cut that makes lights just start flashing? And then stop flashing, eventually. Yeah. Every wire but the strobe light wire. Yeah, exactly. Christopher Lambert beheads this other guy. And there's the beginning of a lot throughout the movie of the weird 80s, like, electricity, yeah. uh, like, lightning effects. So this is the first time we see the quickening, mm-hmm. which is what they'll later call it when they explain what this is. The quickening is basically a bunch of electricity going into a person, like from one immortal to the other. Not always. But sometimes it's also lightning. Yeah. But it's definitely very tangibly electricity because a ton of cars get damaged when this happens. Yo, they straight up like all explode. This is never mentioned. No. By the police. When they're trying to figure this out, no one's also like, but something weird must have happened with the electricity because so many cars can no no longer work. I never thought about that. Like, there's no glass left in any of these cars and they never bring it up. Yeah. And like, you can see the headlights bursting and stuff. Yeah. It's, it never gets brought up as a question as to what happened down there. Nope. So he, they're, they're fighting exclusively with swords, which like I'm pretty impressed that they could just yeah. walk through everything and hide these. But as he's fleeing the scene. He, he hides his sword up in some sort of netting. Yeah, he like tosses it up and hides it there. And I'm like, this literally just happened. Okay, so it makes no sense for the police to be waiting for him when he leaves this parking garage. Yeah. Also... That's true, because we don't hear, like, sirens outside or anything. No, they just show up and they're like, oh, we got you now, buddy, and are Mm -hmm. insanely aggressive. So it doesn't really make sense. Like, he should have been able to just walk out of there and... Although he is driving, like, a bat out of hell. So, like... In an undamaged car, might I add? Well, he's not going to damage his own car. That would be ridiculous. He should have gone back up to the fight. Like, if you're hiding... questionable choices. If you're hiding your sword, then it's presumably because you think you're going to be searched while everybody's getting investigated. So you're trying to blend in. So then why does he... Yeah, that would have been a lot better. Yeah. So then we have a flashback to... A pre-battle parade in Scotland. 
1536, and the McLeod clan is on the warpath and exchanging his... some pretty witty repartee. I peed my kilt the first time I went into battle. Longest pieces go all the time. <laughs> so the effects in this movie are, except for like the explosions, all makeup effects are and... practical. Yes, and they're terrible. Yeah. His wig is awful. And he's got a hot girlfriend. Who I, honestly, I'm impressed she could breathe enough to get her lines out. I know. This girl, like, I don't know if she's just the clan slut. She's or if, up yeah. here. <laughs> or what was going on, because I do not think that was appropriate for marriageable girls. Also, I'm impressed that she managed to kiss him while he was on a horse. That was also pretty impressive, I shortest, thought. You, do you know how they must have had to find the shortest horses that they could, <laughs> yeah. honestly. So she's like, oh, don't let him die. I love you. And then they ride out to battle. There's a ton of lightning going on. <laughs> like there is. And we see Clancy Brown. This movie got better for me when I recognized Clancy Brown. Yes. Because I love him as Brother Justin in Carnival. I've never seen that, but I love him in everything. And he's in some really awesome, very evil-looking bone armor. Yes. It was very impressive looking. Yeah. I mean, one look and you're like, this guy's bad news. Yeah. McLeod's a total doofus in battle. Okay. Well, we should say, Clancy Brown... Tells everyone to also his the name Krugan. is yeah his name is the Krugan let's because Clancy Brown sounds ridiculous as the name of a villain so the Krugan less ridiculous when you know that he originally wanted the Krugan in modern day to be in a suit and a bowler hat <laughs> that's much more like someone named so Clancy amazing. Brown <laughs> I would have loved that that w- I would have preferred that to what they actually did anyway um he tells the clan that they're fighting with. That they can kill everyone except McLeod. for Christopher Lambert. Connor McLeod. He yes. wants Connor McLeod, yes. So now we see him in battle. Right. And he's ridiculous. Yes. No one will fight him. That doesn't mean that you can't attack <laughs> them. And that's the thing. He's literally like wandering around. He's literally saying, No one will fight me. He no says, one will fight, fight me. Fight me, you cowards. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, God, just stab these people in the back, like, as they're running away from you. Yeah, you can still attack them. Yeah. He's so dumb. <laughs> and how did the Krugan hear about this guy? Like, yeah, there's a lot of questions about how these immortals hear about each other. Yeah. So, he encounters the Krugan. Yes. And and displays that he is actually legitimately the worst sword fighter of all time. Absolutely. He, okay, so the Krugan comes down, and he's going to fight him. He's going to kill him. Right. And he has a sword and a shield, and so he immediately moves his shield out to the side and raises his sword high above his head, <laughs> leaving his whole chest and stomach exposed. Rose, this just tells me you know nothing about drama. <laughs> oh my gosh, it he is the most die. dramatic way to kill someone. <laughs> so yeah, he gets run through with a sword, and then he's like, Ugh. and. He, Clancy Brown's gonna kill him, and then all of his friends run up, which doesn't actually make sense. Like, the Krugan should have just killed all of them also, because he definitely could have. But then he just says, This is after we hear the tagline of the movie. There can be only one. This gets repeated ad nauseum. My favorite thing that I've ever seen was that bumper sticker. Yes. On a Highlander car. Yes. I 
I love that so much. So yeah, they take him back and whatever, he's probably dead. Back in the parking garage, his obvious love interest walks up and she's in forensics and her name is Brenda because everything about this movie is bad. (laughs) It's weird because she walks up and she's like... Guys, homicide's supposed to be notified, or like you're forensics supposed to, to you're supposed to notice notify forensics at the same time as homicide, and then she's like this sword expert. She finds this sword that mm-hmm. the other guy had. It's a Toledo Salamanca, and it's amazing. And she says it's worth about a million dollars. I do not believe that. Well, she not only can identify the sword on site uh, and apparently authenticate it. Oh, yeah. Uh, just by looking at it. But yep. she, yeah, she also just offhanded knows the value of the sword. Yeah, so already. This can't come up straining, that much. Straining my uh, credulity here because. Yeah, I mean, is this her hobby outside of forensics? Yeah, like nobody's a sword expert of that caliber and also in forensics. Mm-hmm. Like just working a day job. We cut to Connor McLeod being interrogated by the cops. He's an antiques dealer. So they think that he should know what this sword is. They think he's involved and he won't answer anything. And the cop is very aggressive and punches him. Yeah, he... Okay, because the detective is like, oh, I think this was... Like, you were trying to buy this sword and it was a deal gone bad. You didn't no want explanation. To pay for it. Yeah, no explanation as to why that would be... the Like, under... Like, black market sword... Antique sword dealing. Whatever. But then the cop who's in the interview with him is like, I think you were there for a blowjob. And so... You gay? Yeah. Yeah. Out of the blue. And the detective doesn't... End, the detective is like, I'm just going to see how this plays out. Right? Well, it played out with the cop punching him. And yeah. nobody got anywhere. So he walks out of there because he's like, well, if I'm not under arrest, I'm leaving. We see the Krugen has rolled with the times and he's now a hardcore punk. Really into Queen, thankfully. Oh, thank for goodness. The, for the yeah. soundtrack's sake. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got all black, you know, leather vest, a bunch of metal on him. He rolls into a seedy motel somewhere. So he goes into his hotel room, and you see that he's unpacking his sword, which is in parts. It's in parts to the point where it, like, breaks apart, and you put it back together in the middle of the blade. Yes. That's the worst way to make a sword. Like, that doesn't even work as a sword anymore now. No. Yeah, I saw that, and I was immediately, like, as soon as you try and use that, it's going to snap in half. Especially the way these people use their swords. Yeah. The clerk is like, we got whatever you need. You need blow, you need girls, and he just walks up to the room. Well, he sends up a hooker anyway, and this girl walks in, and she's like, I'm Candy. And... Clancy Brown's like, of course you are. (laughs) And I'm like, that was a weird line for that scene. And then, like, she just closes the door. And And it never gets brought up again, does it? Like, I don't remember this coming up, really. They bring up Candy because later when he's leaving, he uh, the clerk is like, oh, did you like Candy? She said you were a little kinky. And he's like, don't talk to me ever again. (laughs) Yeah. We could have cut the entire prostitute bit out of this movie and nothing would have changed. It would have made more sense if she had been like beat up later and like she was like, oh, he was into some really like bad stuff. I was expecting her to be dead. Yeah, I know. I was too. But no, he's just a little kinky. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think you're going to look at that guy and be like, oh, yes, he was a kind and respectful lover. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're back to Brenda analyzing something. So we see the results, and she's like, 
six point whatever. Oh my gosh, it can't be. And you're like, uh, okay. What does that mean? Yeah, I paused it on the readout because I was like, there must be something on this that I'm missing. But it was like, it said like absorbency or something. And then I just got confused. I'm like, maybe this is really factually what they would look at if they were dating metal. But I don't, it was very confusing. Maybe so, but you can't just show that and then not explain it. Right. Although I say that, but they did. So clearly you can. She goes back to the parking garage and she takes this like classic beach metal detector with her (laughs) because there's no other metal under the concrete here. No. So she's... Aside from these small shavings that are left. Right. So she goes up the pillar with it and then pulls out this little shard of sword. So he's there in the parking garage also trying... He came back for his sword. He's got it in his trench coat now. Mm -hmm. And he's just watching her like a serial killer. (laughs) Yes. So after this, she goes to her regular bar and... The guy's like, uh, made me sad for her life. <laughs> she rolls up and he's like, you're regular? She's like, lots of it. And he's like, oh, here's my question. What is she drinking? Okay. It kind of looks like brandy. But I, it's so red. I have theories on this. Go yeah, on. so it can't be brandy and it can't be sherry. But it is in a small glass that you would use to drink fortified wine. So I was wondering if maybe it was port. If she's drinking port, she drinks it. Real fast. Yeah, she's chugging it. She also kind of has a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But she looks over, because she couldn't hear what some guy at the bar was saying to her, and it's McLeod. He is, I guess, trying to... This is the only time that, like, saying, mumbling something unintelligibly has worked as a pickup line in a bar. Especially because both the bartender and she both say what? So they're not even sure who he's talking to. And he, like... She goes back to say, like, what did you say? She walks over to him, which is ridiculous. It makes me think she's never actually been in a bar before. But when you look back, it's been, like, two seconds and four fingers of the port are gone. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. Yeah, she was chugging it. Well, also, why did Connor follow her into the bar? Well, so that's confusing because he says Madison Square Garden. And she's like, are you following me? And he's like, I want to... Yeah, do you spend much time in the garden? Yeah, do you spend... And he's, she's like, you following me? And he's like, I want to walk you home. Which, okay, like, that just means you want to murder me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, no dice. <laughs> Weirdly enough, she leaves. And then he leaves, and she follows him. He walks down the alley, and he's looking around, and then Clancy Brown pops up. This is one of those things where he pops up and you're like, wait, where was he hiding? He just like popped up. You should have seen him. You know what's funny? All they needed to do is to mention briefly that all of these immortals can sense the presence of other immortals around them. And that would have explained a lot about how they're finding each other. Yeah. And then a police helicopter wakes (laughs) them up with a spotlight and they're like, hey, stew right there. Stop it. A guy, like, hanging out the side. And then they run away and they're like, hey, stop, stand still. And I'm like, yeah, this is why helicopters, like, don't work (laughs) for arresting people. Yeah. When you have a helicopter, you're also supposed to have people on the ground near you. Yeah. This is the first time we hear him called Highlander, Mm -hmm. though, by the Krugen. So Brenda's there and he's super rude to her. She's like, who was that guy? Why did he call you Highlander? What does this mean? There can be only one? What does that mean? 
And yeah. he's super rude to her. He's like, get out of here. Don't ever talk to me again. And it's like, wait, you wanted to walk her home. Like, weren't you trying to get an in here? Also, and now you're just like, get out of here? Yeah. And she has amazing hearing to be able to hear all of these details and to then just have m- many follow-up questions. Because yeah. they fought when they, they did. met. Yeah. Sword so, fighting. Yeah. This was said over sword fighting, which she wasn't near because you wouldn't if you were a sane person. To be fair, Clancy Brown shouts very effectively. <laughs> I guess so. But then her questions are about things like, what did you mean by there can only be one? And not like, there can what's- be only oh, one. I'm sorry. They're very specific. <laughs> <laughs> but she's not asking the obvious questions of, why do you keep sword fighting with all these people? What's I know, the right? deal with all the sword fighting? Like, who are all these weirdos in yeah. New York City that have a sword beef with yeah. each other? Instead, she's like, what did he mean by Highlander? What? Like, who is that cares? really your most important question? <laughs> who cares? It's clearly a nickname. Let's move on to the salient point. What's with the sword fighting? Yeah. So, uh, flashback to the Highlands. Everyone is super mad that he's alive still after he got run through by the Krugan in the battle. They were all really sad because he was going to die, and now he's better, and they're like, which doesn't really make sense. Like with how little they knew about medicine, I feel like it wouldn't be that unusual. They did say it was the day before that he'd been dying, and now he was better. Okay, and he's like a hundred percent better. Yeah. I feel like at that point in 1536, I feel like they would just be like, wow, this is amazing. You should run our clan. Yeah. Well, I guess there were two ways they could have interpreted it. Miracle or work of the devil. They chose work of the devil. (laughs) They really did. And like the one who was the most adamant about the fact that he should be killed for being a devil worshiper or Mm -hmm. whatever was his girlfriend. Miss Bustier. Yeah. So he says, I'm not going anywhere. Cut to everyone's beating the heck out of him. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I'm not going anywhere. The beating starts immediately. Yeah. And they're like, all right, there we go. Angus saves him from getting burned. But here's the thing. He's got his arms tied up to a <laughs> like a log behind his neck. Mm-hmm. So he saves him from getting burned. He's like, we're going to banish you instead. He doesn't untie him. <laughs> they literally just push him out with his sword, which makes even less sense. <laughs> like, here's a sword if your hands ever get untied. <laughs> yeah. And then they just, like, push him out like that. Mm -hmm. So we see his close-up of his dumb face, (laughs) and there is a seamless transition to a (laughs) modern-day replica of the Mona Lisa. (laughs) It's very artful. Oh, man. Uh, We see his awesome apartment. We see everything in it, such as the fish tank, where there cannot be living fish. It's so green it's in there. It's bad. Uh, you, you're looking at this and you're like, whose job on set was it to clean this fish tank? Because, come on. I think they deliberately did that for the later, for the transition that they used. Like, I think they wanted it to be algae filled. And we also see the 100% real New York City view. <laughs> There's another flashback. He's got a new hot girlfriend. So long, bustier woman. And she's much better. She seems real nice and friendly. She's also prettier. (laughs) She is prettier. Their makeout sesh is interrupted when Sean Connery jumps over them. Oh, it is not interrupted. Sean Connery waits until makeout session is completed. That's right. He has perfect timing, which makes me think that he's been loitering over just like just past their range of vision, waiting for them to finish. He would, though. He's such a <laughs> creep. You know that guy is just awful. 
Uh, I'm sorry, but he's probably like an insufferable jerk. <laughs> he shows up, jumps over them on a horse in a green peacock feather cape. Yeah. Which, what? How did you travel with that? Like, who has that? I'm sorry. In the 1500s, you keep that in a closet and you take it out on, like, Coronation Day or whatever. Well, this is a man with style. He's also wearing, like, a red suit of clothes. Yeah, he has, like, really flamboyant clothing. Yeah. So he looks ridiculous. He introduces himself. This, his presence Mm -hmm. makes me question, so they're all immortals. Right. Do they just arbitrarily stop aging at some point? Because Sean Connery yeah. is super old looking. I know. And that's what's weird. Like, I thought about that too. I mean, so he's maybe the oldest one that we know of, but that still doesn't make sense. I right. Mean, cause because it's not that, like they just live 10,000 years. So they're gradually aging. They are but then immortal. The other, yeah. Because then the other guy was middle aged and Christopher Lambert's obviously not 18. Right. So it's weird. He introduces himself. He's Spanish. His name is Spanish, and I it's very long, and I don't care to remember it. Except then, later, you find out that he's actually Egyptian, and he's, like, 2,000 years old. Yeah. Which is why he has a Scottish accent, because, I'm sorry, they claim <laughs> that he worked with an accent coach. He just straight up sounded less Scottish than usual. Yeah. Still very Scottish. But it's 100% Scottish accent. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. We go back to the police station. So it turns out that Brenda, who's getting lunch with this guy, was the author of Metallurgical History of Ancient Sword Making. That is awfully convenient. Yes, which is a very thick book and has to be an incredibly boring read. (laughs) And, like, that's the kind of thing that you don't write as a forensics person. Like, professors write that stuff. You also don't write it as a glossy hardback with your name on it and cover art. And your art. photo. Nobody like, has their photo on a book like right. that. Right. This is a purely academic work. It's but not it was being a bestseller. Sold in, it's not being sold in stores. No, it this totally is. This is like somebody's thesis paper that got published. Like, this isn't... Not even their thesis. Like, this was research that took years of their professorship. Yeah, like, like this Publish isn't... or perish. This is not something that would ever be a bestseller or a hardback that you could buy in stores. Well, also outside of a an academic place, nobody would publish that. No. Because there's not a market for it. It's the kind of thing that you only make money at when you make all your students buy it for their class. Exactly. So also she goes, so she wants to see his the picture of the suspect, of the guy that they're suspecting, which is, of course, Connor McLeod, uh, who's going by Connor Nash. Yes. So she's looking at the picture on the desk in the file, or she's trying to. And then the detective walks in and is like, hey, you can't look at that. And she's so cannily, like, oh, let's get lunch. I'm buying. And they leave together at the office, which is shared with a bunch of other people. There it's are not other just the people two of them. in there. Yeah. So they leave. And then she's like, oh, forgot my purse in your office. And he's like, okay, I'll meet you downstairs. Worst detective of all time. But also, she walks in and proceeds to look at the document. No one else says anything. (laughs) And I guess he's also completely unsuspicious when she leaves also without a purse. Uh, Couldn't find it. Yeah. This was just 
so clumsily done. Honestly, everything about this movie was done. I feel like it was just a vehicle for sword fights and explosions. Well, there's no reason. If you had just not had the detective interrupt and just have her looking through the file, I don't know why she shouldn't be allowed to look through it. She is forensics. It's not like she's, like not trusted by the police what what do they care i know like she's gonna testify for the defense or something (laughs) right especially if she's met this guy before you think she would she should have brought that up as a cop this guy i'm pretty sure was following me when i was collecting evidence at the garage also i'm now a witness because i saw him sword fighting with somebody else so like now we pretty much have a case for just going ahead with this yeah doesn't mention it unimportant yeah she has bigger questions, like... I called you Highlander, what did they mean? Yeah, well, th- these things need to be answered. <laughs> yeah. Of what can there be only one? Yes. Well, we'll we're, we're about to find that out, Rose, because Sean Connery is training the heck out of Connor McCloud. Uh, he couldn't possibly get any worse, so it's a pretty easy job. Yeah, that's true. The bar's <laughs> really low. And the bar for training seems pretty low also, <laughs> because his training is just him... <laughs> pushing him into a lake so that he learns that he can't drown. And he's like, I don't like boats. I don't like water. I'm not a fish. And I'm like, fish don't like boats either. He sounds like, for one thing. He sounds like a preteen who's being dragged on a camping trip by his father. totally does. So yeah, he pushes him out and he's like, you're immortal. You can't drown. And he's like, what? And then he gets underwater. He's breathing underwater. Yes. Which is not the same thing as not being able to drown. Then he comes out of the water and then he tries to kill Sean Connery for some reason. Like, he's sneak like, attack. He'll never see this coming. He'll never hear a large man coming out of the water covered <laughs> the in seaweed. Yeah. So he tries to get him with the sword. Apparently, <laughs> Sean Connery has super speed. This is something that is <laughs> never shown again. And none of the other <laughs> the other immortals show any proclivity for super speed. <laughs> it's 100% impossible that he could have done it that fast without either teleportation skills or super speed. And he doesn't have super speed later. No. Which is how he ends up dying. Yeah. Oh, it's ridiculous. Because the, the immortals don't actually have any special skills no. other than living forever. Yeah, they don't. Which is really dumb. (laughs) Sean Connery is teaching him all this nonsense, teaching him sword fighting, all this stuff. Oh, they're having so much fun together. And then he's like, you have to leave Heather, his (laughs) girlfriend. He's like, you can't have a family. You can't have children. He he info dumps this stuff about his Japanese wife and the sword, which only comes up because the Brenda has questions about the sword. Yeah. And then it's just like. (laughs) We all cared a lot. Yeah. like i was really sad when she died yeah you will also be sad when heather dies you should leave her now yeah okay so sean connery is explaining all of this stuff to him he explains the quickening which is when you get another immortal's power after you behead them because beheading is the only way that they can be killed yeah but you can also apparently just get it by standing on a hill and being struck by lightning which we see christopher lambert yeah doing yeah because they like apparently can just absorb electricity or something and that's Even, also a quickening right it although we never sense. see that and he says that he felt the quickening when he first met sean connery and he felt it before when he met the krugan so do you also feel the quickening just by being near another immortal because wouldn't that make it really difficult for sean connery to train i don't understand the, the deal with the quickening i don't either it's really not well explained they're very vague on the whole thing yeah And by that logic, so if you get somebody else's power by killing them, really, the Krugan should win 
everything in the end. Yeah. Because he's killed so many immortals. Right. He sought them out and killed them. Yeah. Even ones that didn't know they were immortal, which still... How did he know? Well, it's even more confusing because nobody else around Connor knew, and the Krugan had never met or been near him before. Yes. He was asking about him. Yeah. This is out of the blue. He has discovered this guy. From a tiny Scottish clan that no one probably ever talks about. Yeah. And yet he knows this. And there's no mysterious rumors about, like, you know, that time he should have died as a child and yeah, didn't. Yeah, exactly. No. So, anyway, he's explaining that... When there's only a few left, it's going to be the gathering. And then only one ends up living. There can be only one. And How do they know all this? I don't know. He never explains that. Yeah. Because it's never happened before. Right. So this is basically just like a religion that immortals have. Right. That they believe all this stuff. I would have really liked it if in the end nothing had happened. Because it was all nonsense. Right. That would have been amazing. And just like Sean Connery's voiceover, my bad. (laughs) So he's saying that if Clancy Brown is the last one, the world's going to be plunged into darkness or something. Right. He'll like gain control. He'll he'll basically enslave all of humanity. Once again, how do they know this? Yeah. Because they they know that there's going to be a prize somehow. And they also know the prize is going to be, if, if it's Clancy Brown, the prize is going to be enslavement of all humanity. Right. World domination. So, anyway, he's trying to talk Connor into leaving Heather, and then it just cuts to Sean Connery and Heather having dinner. <laughs> yeah. And he's regaling her with fun tales, and uh, then he senses something. Yeah. It's the Krugan. On his way, they get in a fight. It knocks down their entire stone house, this mm-hmm. fight, by the way, and leaves a staircase to nowhere <laughs> Yeah, going up very at one point. Oh, it's very dramatic. So that they can sword fight on it. Sean Connery, he knows he's going to die. And the Krugan is like, who's that woman? And he's like, she's my woman. Because he's lying so that the Krugan doesn't take her and then like get to McLeod through her and all this yeah. stuff. Noble to the end. Right. Presumably, we really don't know him that well. <laughs> yeah. So he gets beheaded, and then we hear the first of many times that Clancy Brown says, Hello, pretty. We cut to the shop that he runs, his uh, Christopher Lambert's mm-hmm. antique shop. Yes. And he's talking to his assistant, and he's in a dark room with his secretary who's, like, dressing him now or something. It's weird. He, she's, like, doing his tie. And then we see in a flashback that he rescued Rachel from Nazis because, of yes. course, he did. She was an adorable blonde child. Yeah. And then you look at her and you're like, I don't feel like she was old enough to be a 10-year-old child when the Nazis were doing stuff. And yeah. she wasn't, but it's fine. And you kind of get the feeling that Rachel's been in love with him forever. It was a bit inconsistent in that I think they clearly wanted you to think that she felt like she was a daughter for him. But sometimes the way they set the scenes up felt like she was in love with him. Yeah, that it was like unrequited love. Yeah. So anyway, he's going off to a date with Brenda at her apartment. He's picking her up or something. I don't know. He brings a present and a bottle of something. 
So he's looking through the drawers of her apartment because that's the kind of guy he is. This is where he straight... So she's like finishing getting ready. This is where he straight up looks like a serial killer because he's smiling as he's like expressionlessly going through. Somehow smiling and yet like he doesn't reach his eyes. It's weird. He's smiling and like saying weird things to her like, oh, and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't remember. But it was weird. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you going to murder her right now? So he finds a gun and a tape recorder in there. So she's obviously set up some kind of sting here. And I can't tell, was it with the police department? He looked out the window and he saw the unmarked police car outside. So it was with the police department. With John Polito in it. So he, she opens the present and it's her, her own book. And he's like, oh, I thought you said you worked at the Met. This says that you work for the police department in forensics. She's like, okay, fine. And that's when he was like, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot me with the 45? Like, whatever. I see the police outside. So it turns out that she's, her cover's blown. And she's like, no, I really, really want to date this sword because it's super advanced for the age that it's supposed to be. Like, this didn't start until this kind of, like, folding 200 times didn't start until the Middle Ages in Japan. So, you know, it would be amazing if this Mm -hmm. was really the age that it dates to. So I just want to figure out more about this sword. We see another flashback where Heather is old. This is the worst old lady makeup I've ever seen. It's not as bad as Guy Pierce's old man makeup in Prometheus. I mean, it's bad in a different way. It's bad in a, like, all they did was, like, put gray in her eyebrows and her hair. Well... I mean, they did a little bit of facial makeup. Uh, It's more excusable for me because this movie was from the 80s and Prometheus was from just a few years ago. Yeah, so they're they're bad in different ways because Guy Pearce's makeup was so over the top. (laughs) You're like, oh my goodness, is this man 800 years old? Like, what's going on? Heather dies and it's super sad. She's like, I don't want to die. I want to stay with you. Uh, But she dies. Back in New York, he meets up with an immortal friend. His friend wants to party. Like the good old days. Yeah. So they have a flashback to the dumbest scene in the movie. <laughs> it's 1783. And there's a hilarious duel going on because McLeod is so drunk. Yeah. And he apparently called this guy's wife a warthog or something. And you're like... It's like this French aristocrat. It's a hilarious duel. He's so drunk. He keeps getting run through with the sword, but he keeps not dying. The guy's... The, his no one's asking questions about this. They just keep no. running him through with the sword. And his opponent's valet... Is insanely obsequious. He's also super trying to kiss him. Yes, that's what it is. And the guy's like, yeah, like on the mouth. Keeps trying to kiss him. But what's confusing is the guy is just like pushing him away. Like, oh, you're so annoying. And I'm like, if you think this man is annoying, how is he still your valet? It's weird. What's even weirder is that as McLeod is running away from the store, the the duel, because he's like, I'm sorry. My bad. And he just runs away. I just apologize and yeah. we'll just move on. So he's he's like running Once away. Once again, nobody asking away. questions about no. how he's still alive. Nope. No one's asking those questions. But his valet super wants this finished. So yeah. he hands him guns and he's like, shoot him. Shoot him in the back of the head. Yeah. And then the dude instead turns around and shoots his valet in the back. This is so confusing. And you're I like, don't. what? I think it's getting played for laughs. But it was... I think so. The tragic murder of this very annoying man. It's really weird. It's (laughs) it's this like manic scene where you're like, how much cocaine was the person (laughs) that wrote this on? It was weird. Yeah. 
okay. So there's here's okay. Here's another And it never comes up, by the way. No, also, it doesn't that guy's not in it. What guy? His friend. Yeah, I know his friend's not in it. The like, friend's just like we're well, partying like in the old days, and we see this watching scene it from afar. Full of white people. This guy is not in it. He's not there. I mean, maybe he was like way in the background. <laughs> but yeah, it's immediately followed up by another super weird scene with a vigilante ex-marine who's dealing with his paranoia by going out on the worst streets in New York City with an AK-47 or whatever they had. To, like, deal with crime? It's bizarre. And so he sees uh, Krugen and McLeod sword fighting. No, Krugen and his friend. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's his friend. He hides behind some stuff and waits until his friend gets beheaded (laughs) to do anything. Yeah. He shoots up the Krugen and he's not killed. But there's huge explosions everywhere. Which I guess is from the quickening? Probably. He gets run through by Krugen, somehow not killed because we see him alive later. <laughs> uh, Krugen goes on to carjack an old lady. Yeah. In a scene that was also maybe supposed to be funny. I think but, so. But like he throws the he throws the man out of the car, the old man, and the yes. old lady just sits in there. She doesn't get out. She doesn't even try to get out. And then she stands up. While the car is driving away and ends up on the windshield. Well, yeah, because my other question is, this is clearly a, an awful neighborhood. What are these people, these this really old couple, doing driving around? Because they're obviously at not night. from there. And they just, like, stop to watch this sword fight. And yeah. And like, just sit there while this guy, like, runs towards them with a giant sword. It's, yeah, you're in a car. I think you can outrun him. Yeah. So the Marine is in the hospital. Um... And the guys are like, okay, was this the guy that you saw sword fighting? And it's a picture of McLeod. And he's like, no, that wasn't him. He had a scar on his neck and all this stuff. And you're going to think I'm crazy, but he was beheaded. And then there was all this uh, electricity and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, okay, sure it was, ex-Marine. You're crazy. Meanwhile, Brenda is looking up records on Connor Nash. Turns out, Connor Nash died at birth. Blowing this thing wide open. She takes this to an analyst who, through the magic of having access to, I guess, every signature ever, just in some database somewhere. (laughs) From hundreds of years ago. Like they had in the 80s. Oh, yeah. They had that. Um, He takes the signature of this stuff, of the guy. Oh, I guess guess his name is Russell Nash. That's what he's been going by. Oh. Russell Nash. So he takes Russell Nash's signature and he's like, look, oh my gosh, this guy's been alive since the 1700s. And has been just, like, going through all of these identities. And, like, this is all the same guy because it's, like, all these different names that he's used. And it's like, okay, so you have recorded signatures in your database from the 1700s for what? Police work? So that you can, like, solve extra cold cases? And he just goes straight from, like, nothing to this guy has been alive for hundreds of years. And he's stealing identities through the centuries. Yeah, it would have been better if she had somehow traced it through the antique shop or through the business stuff that had been left to him. But they didn't do that. So it's super weird because you're like, what else does this handwriting analyst believe? Like, he seems like a real conspiracy theorist. There is a certain point also where you're like, maybe these people... At a certain point, maybe just people have very similar handwriting. (laughs) I know. Also, hasn't he... 
I feel like your handwriting would change a little bit from, like, if you were alive that long. I don't know. I'm not immortal. I mean, I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, anyway, he's in church later, lighting a candle for Heather. That was Heather's dying wish. Light a candle for me on my birthday. Remember me. Yeah. I will, my bonnie Heather. Uh, That was a good (laughs) Scottish accent. You know what? It was better than Christopher Lambert's. (laughs) So I'll take it. Krugen walks in. The Krugen. His name in the present is Victor Kruger. Oh, that's funny. For no reason. Like, we don't yeah. need to know his name ever. No. We, we have one. It's not like he's a businessman who's getting interviewed by the cops. He goes out and, like, smashes all the candles with his hand to, like, put him out like <laughs> he's a giant child. He has now shaved his head for all but a tiny rat tail, which I'm pretty sure is just taped on. <laughs> He also has safety pins in his neck now. Yeah. We see we saw during the fight with Sean Connery yeah. that the scar on his neck is from when he only yeah. a little bit cut his throat. Yeah. So Clancy Brown, the bald cap that he is wearing for this, for one thing, it doesn't really matter how good bald caps are. Like Typically, you can see where if you're looking for it, typically you can see where the seam is. It's just really <laughs> hard to disguise it in a way that nobody can possibly see when they're looking for it. But I understand maybe he had other roles or he didn't want to change how he looked from his headshot too much. So he didn't really want to cut his hair off. But maybe he could have just trimmed it a little bit because his head looks super deformed. It looks insanely deformed. I mean, it's really bad. You're like, wait, what's wrong with your skull? It makes him look way creepier. Yeah, it's terrible. Because it looks like he's got, like, a growth on the top of his head. There's also not a reason for this to happen. He says, I'm in disguise, or, like, I'm incognito, or something like that. And you're like, okay, you're not, though, because you're still going around everywhere being ridiculous. And And you look exactly the same. Well, and he's now more recognizable. Yeah, You just made yourself stick out more. Yeah. who's looking for you? No one. Like, okay, anyway. They're in a church, and he's, uh, he, he, like, he's just, like, gloating about stuff. Yeah, so there's, like, the old pact of the immortals that he's apparently gonna stand by for some reason, which is that they can't attack each other on holy ground. So he can't really do anything but gloat. I don't know why. This man is so evil. Like, goes out of his way to be so evil. And yet he's going to stand by the pact that they've made about not attacking each other on holy ground. Yeah. A pact, by the way, which uh, Christopher Lambert was never in on. Theoretically, he could just do whatever. He wasn't part of the pact. I know, right? Um, It's really weird, though, because Clancy Brown's idea of being super punk in this, I mean, the, the Krugen, he's just like sticking his tongue out at nuns and he's like blah, 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 yeah. like oh you're so outrageous yeah so and the priest was like can you play this is a braver priest than i would have been the priest oh was goodness. like excuse me sir can you please leave people are trying to pray. like this is the house of god and he does eventually get him to leave but i was yeah. like man that priest i know <laughs> brave man someone's got to do it but it yeah. would not have been me <laughs> like oh i have to hear confessionals like i can't do this yeah uh, so we go, we see Brenda confronting McLeod. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I am looking for a dead man. Nash is dead. Yeah. And they go up to his apartment and he tells her the truth and makes her stab him. So he's yeah. holding He could have easily stabbed knife. himself. Yeah. He's holding, instead he has to emotionally scar her. <laughs> yes. He's holding a knife that he's holding her hand 
over a knife that he's making her hold and then like stabs himself. And you're like, okay, cool. So he's still essentially stabbing himself, but he's also forcing her to participate in the act for some reason. Of all the moves that shouldn't have worked, this is the biggest one because that (laughs) leads to banging. Don't understand this. They're acting like the sexual tension between them is incredible. I've never felt any... For one thing, they've spent very little time together. Oh, it's bizarre. There's no sexual tension between the two of them. They hardly know each other at all. And there is nothing that would have me less in the mood than thinking that I had mortally wounded someone, only to find out that it was actually all a sick joke being played on me by this guy. Yeah. Well, especially since it still hurts. Like, it well, still hurts yeah, them when like, stuff falls happens. to his knees. Yeah. It's just that they don't die from it, and they heal extra fast. Like, it still hurts them. So they have a classic 80s sex scene. Cut to them watching two lions in a at a zoo or something. And I assume like, this is, is happening. A, I assume this is a reflection on his sexual prowess. Oh, nice. This is the only possible explanation as to why they did that. Why they are even at a zoo. Oh, it's bizarre. And it's like the world's saddest zoo. They're like yeah. in this little cage, yeah. just two lions running around. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just saying, I can't get involved again. It won't work. And you're like, wait, are you now saying now get lost? What's happening? Yeah. And she's He's like... had hundreds of years to master the the morning after blow off. And this is the seriously. best he can come up with. Oh, yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> He's terrible at emoting at all. So Brenda goes back to her apartment and we see the Krugan is there. And his catchphrase in the movie... Hello, pretty. He kidnaps her. It's so funny because she goes and locks the door and then he just like bangs it down. Like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um... And I don't know what she lives by, but there was some intense red lighting coming in through the windows. <laughs> Preferred by people who are going to be murdered. <laughs> he kidnaps her and puts her in his car. And then they just go running down everybody that he could find in the city, <laughs> playing yeah. chicken with every car he sees. And she's like screaming in the passenger seat. This scene was a full minute too long. <laughs> If not more. It it's was very so existence waited long. too long. I hated this scene. It was horrible. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the dueling scene, but it was pretty bad. Yeah, and you you feel so bad for Brenda and Clancy Brown because, like, they're doing the best they can. Yeah. But at a certain point, the only direction that either one of them received was, Brenda, you scream a lot. Clancy Brown, you be the punk. That, act crazy. Yeah, just try to act as crazy as you can while sitting in a car and like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, then he's leaving um, a cloud of voicemails like, I have your woman, come get her, which part should I cut off first? So he hugs Rachel goodbye and heads off to fight for Brenda at the Silver Cup Studios. The Kurgan and McLeod fall into a different room through a glass ceiling, I guess. The Krugan's about to win, but then Brenda hits him with a metal pipe. Yep. And then he's about to kill Brenda, and then McLeod stops the sword with his sword. He's like, <laughs> What kept you? Yeah, were you depending on Brenda to help you win this fight? Because. That was doomed to fail. It was just weird because this movie was not a comedy, but they tried to inject several scenes into it. Yeah. That you're like, "Mm, that didn't really fit here. You should have taken that out. So Krugan is beheaded. His body is apparently just filled with electricity at this point. Yeah. 
And he keeps moving his sword like he's going to keep fighting. Yes. So that was probably because what Mulcahy originally wanted, like an electricity dragon to come out of him and to, for McLeod to then have to kill that dragon. I'm also. so glad that didn't happen. This movie right. would have been so long. <laughs> I know. So instead, he falls down and then he gets the prize and he's suspended by visible strings. <laughs> There's, like, these weird demons swirling around him. It was really odd. I didn't... I was expecting, like, this scene to be more comprehensible to me. Like, it, I, don't, it I was, was expecting, not. like, mysterious voices <laughs> to be like, you've won the prize. Yeah. Would you like to enslave humanity? And him to be like, no, all I want is to live as a normal man. This didn't... There, there was no conversation like this. So nope. I... He just knows... Now that he's mortal? He says, I know everything. I am everything. That's what he says during that scene. You can't oh, hear that's it right. that well. He does say that. No, I do remember that. Which makes it even more confusing. But I'll guess this conversation is happening in his head since he knows everything and is everything. <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah, so that's supposed to be demons and the souls of all the immortals that have gone before him. That's what the director said. So he knows everything but how to use a word processing system? Yeah. <laughs> now he, 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 we got to like, he can read minds. He can yeah. read everybody's mind on the planet now. This is a baffling conclusion. Okay, yes. so he can read everyone's minds on the planet. And yep. Brenda, he tells this to Brenda. I know what people are thinking all over the world. Presidents, diplomats, scientists. I can help them understand each other. This is not the problem. I the know. The problem isn't that people don't understand. People have this weird idea that if only we understood each other better, there would be peace on earth. That's not the problem. The problem is that people just don't agree, just like flat out don't agree with what another person thinks is true. Yeah, like a diplomat doesn't explain what someone's thinking. They try to work out compromises because people disagree and have different desires. Right. So I think it's hilarious that his prize is that he could be like a top diplomat. It'd be hilarious yeah. if he went from like this sword fighting guy to like, oh, now I help scientists to understand each other. That's mm -hmm. my big thing now. Yeah. And he can now grow old as a man and have children. So the question is, did he choose to be mortal and to have this prize? Like, is so. it you, Do you get to choose it? Because the Krugan thought that he was going to be able to enslave humanity. And presumably he wanted to enslave humanity for more than 20 years until he died of old age. Or of just like anything. Yeah. He could die tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very strange. So the prize is never explained. The quickening, the immortals, and the prize. None of it's explained. Right, which is the only part that would have made this movie interesting. Like, yeah. he's not, this is not a character study of Connor McCloud where you don't really care about the specifics of the sci-fi. No, it's not, because he's terrible. Yeah. When he gets the prize, after he beheads the Krugan, he says, there can be only one. But with less emotion. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, you just won everything. You defeated evil. And this is your, that's how you say it? Like, he was the worst choice for this. Yeah, there was so, I had so many questions about this. And that's kind of why I was looking at the plot summaries for the sequels. Because I was like, oh, maybe they'll explain some of this. Nope. <laughs> the, the sequels just spin the whole thing off into a completely 
different random direction. And this is a franchise that has, like, this was incredibly unsuccessful in theaters. It didn't even make its budget back. And they still made that many more and a TV show? Well, it became a cult classic. So it was many years later they made the sequel because it was enough of a cult classic that they could have gotten people to watch it. So now I think there's five movies. Oh, yeah, that one has, Highlander 2 has Christopher Lambert. A live action series and an animated TV series. And I don't understand the people that see this movie and think, man, I want so much more of this. Right? This is the other thing they don't explain. So I guess there have been immortals for who knows how long. Presumably always. Presumably always, but then why did it just stop at some point? Yeah. Because there had to be an end. Well, yeah, because it's not the end of the world. It's not like this final gathering happens at the end of the world. You know, the world just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's really weird. Okay, can we talk about one other thing? The stunt director mm-hmm. who uh, plays the first guy, first immortal who gets murdered that mm-hmm. we see, with all the flips, he is described by the police as a Polish national. However, his name is Iman Fasil, making yeah. it sound like he's Muslim. So, yeah, I'm confused because this guy's blonde, very white. Yeah. His name is Iman Fasil. Mm-hmm. That's not a Polish name. And he's supposed to be a Polish national. Yeah, um... I, I, the, the thing is... Right, because where did he come from? Right. Where his name... These yeah. immortals are terrible at picking cover stories. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yes, I'm Polish. Or, you know, maybe he's just terrible at... Maybe lo- he thought no one would ever call him out. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Except the police have his real name. Because they say it, too. Yeah. And, okay, yeah, it's really stupid. And then, you know, Christopher Lambert's like, yes, I'm American. 100%. Yeah. And then, like, where are you from? And he's like, I'm from all all kinds of places. This was, like, their attempt to explain his awful accent. I know. And you're like, dude, your cover story needs to be more than that. Like, you need to sound like a normal person when you talk to people. Don't say, I'm from all over when you're talking to the police. And he was so hostile when he was talking to the police. I'm like, all this is doing is making them more suspicious of you. You should act like you're terrified because the sword fight, you you know, was happening while you were hiding and didn't see anything. This is how they know for sure that it was you. Yeah, because he's in there with this huge chip on his shoulder. Oh my goodness, it's so bad. Like, how have you existed this long and you're so bad at this yeah so the next movie we're doing is in a completely different genre we're going to be doing i don't think it is (laughs) they're both historical they both star christopher lambert i think and they both have songs yeah (laughs) so the next movie we're doing is disney's frozen yeah he's his singing voice does not have the same (laughs) accent that he does in uh, speaking. It sounds very feminine, too. Yeah. He sounds a lot like Adina Menzel. And that's what we're watching next time on More is More. For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, write us at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.